so Zuba, thanks so much for um, talking with me today about your article um, on Valentin Madimbe and and his importance for IR. And and the first question that I have for you is is basically how did you come to Madimbe? Oh, um, thank you for having me, Robbie. Um, this is this is um, fantastic. Actually, I was um, um, I did my MA in Japan. And I was struggling. I wanted to go to the UK. And my MA um, supervisor was like, the Canadian universities will be more sympathetic to you. Because I was more struggling with political economy stuff during this time. And I came to York. But after the first time, I got like really disillusioned because it was just the same thing, the same thing. And I was trying to understand conflicts. And this was the period when everybody was talking about liberal peace. They were talking about um, the transformation of peacekeeping. And, and I wanted to do something different. It's like, why are we talking about conflicts the way in which we are talking about them in the first place? And one day, a colleague and I were at the York University bus stop. And we were having this conversation about Fanon and, and all of the, the usual conversation that graduate students have. And somebody overheard us. And she was like, but if you really want to understand Fanon, you need to go to Hegel and, and Sad. And I was like, do you really need that? Anyway, she was a professor of English and we exchanged contacts and I promised to come see her. I told her about my project and she was like, you have to read Mudimbe. And I was like, I have never heard this name. And then I went to the library, got the copy and I sat on it basically for the next two days the most difficult thing I had read at that point. But I was also very fascinated about it. So, and so I wrote him an email and I was like, look, I just read your book and I'm, I'm blown away. I don't know if I understand what you are saying, but my take is this. And I was just thinking, if you have anything to say to me about my project, this is what I'm thinking. And back then I was thinking of conflicts in terms of their interpretation. So they were interpreting them from an ethnocentric perspective. And Mudimbe was like, I don't think that's the route you want to take because everybody speaks from the location of an ethnos. And so then we started exchanging emails, but then it got to the point where I had to go to Sierra Leone to do um, field work. And my supervisor was like, if um, you establish a relationship with Mudimbe, we can have him as your external examiner because he has to be at, at arm's length. So I kept my distance. I was sending him an email, but he was extremely generous. In fact, the very, fall, the very day that I emailed him, he responded with this very long email. And he had to come to York University to give a talk, um, the inaugural lecture, the John Saul lecture, the African Studies um, um, program at York. And then I finished writing, and, and my supervisor contacted him, and he's like, yeah, he agreed to be um, the external examiner, and he wrote a glowing um, examiner's report of my dissertation, which I saw after, afterwards, of course, I was not supposed to see it. I saw it after the exam. And after that, I won his friendship, and things just kind of went from there. Um, like I wrote in, 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 the, in, in lieu of an abstract in the paper, our relationship had gotten to the place that he will write stuff and seek my opinion. And it's like, and sometimes I'll be like, 
somebody pinch me. I'm like, but you are somebody that I look up to. And, and I'll tell him, like, I don't think they are going to like this. That's really how I came, um, um, how I came to Valentin Mudimbe. So, um, Mudimbe is, I mean, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to remember when I, when I first came across him and read him, and it was certainly not in IR, right? No. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't even <laughs> exactly. in post-colonial studies, actually. Yeah. I mean, he, he I guess there's a, a people in literature use him, maybe a little yeah. bit of philosophy, social theory. But it's kind of difficult to place. Um, what what do you think the the signal importance of Madimbo's work is for people in IR? Like you said, I, you know, there's a lot of people talking about Fanon, rightly so. Yeah. But Madimbo. Yeah. And 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 I think I, let me just back up with what you just said. Right after the paper came out, a colleague at uh, Virginia Tech sent me this mail, and she is like, "You are so right." I did a master's in post-colonial theory and I didn't read Mudimbi. We read Spivak, we read like all of these guys, right? And, and, and the point for me is that you cannot, since um, the publication of the invention of Africa, every major debate that has taken place um, in African philosophy has been um, informed by Mudimbe, by the theoretical vista that he opens. So systems of thought. But I think when it comes to IR and the way in which he thinks of not only the processes of disciplinary transformation, but also the stumbling blocks that exist so that we have been saying the same things about IR over and over and over again. Um, I mean, your work, Sibas' work, like, if it, like we have been saying the same thing and meanwhile, Disciplinary IR as the dominant trends within the discipline still continue to understand Africa in the same way. And, and, and Mudimbe helps us in understanding this. Part of it is that the frames within which um, we engage with certain regions have already been set. Now, it doesn't mean that it cannot change, right? It does change, but sometimes that change itself is structured by the very thing that it is responding to. And I think part of it is that, but I think the most important thing for me, um, some of the major trends in critical IR, whether it's post-colonial and now we are in this moment, everybody's talking about decolonial, decolonial. Well, Mignolo, if you read him closely, you see his intellectual debt to Mudimbi. The post-colonial, sorry, the, the, the post-development people, Escobar and others, if you read actually encountering um, um, development, Mudimbe is very central to allowing Escobar to think about development the way in which he does. If you go to Sandra Hardin, um, I'm talking of feminist epistemology here, standpoint, Mudimbe is central. She's actually saying, um, she is using Mudimbe to say, just the, the way in which Africans and different societies have been able to reimagine their societies and, 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 and the frames within which they have been reproduced, feminists could also do that. So Mudimbe is not just one dimensional. It, he allow us, allows us to understand colonial modernity beyond the fetishes of its Eurocentric uh, um, evocations. He allows us to also think about 
um, transforming our societies is, but at the same time, he cautions against um, um, what Spivak will say, uh, superficial enthusiasm. That we have to be mindful that there are obstacles that exist that were introduced um, by the fact that colonialism itself was not just a, a, a system of pure violence, right? And so, so Mudimbe, Mudimbe's significance for me um, is one, he allowed us to understand what it's at stake when we are dealing with systems of power, when we are dealing with systems of knowledge, when we are dealing with system of post-colonial transformation. And IR has taken up all of these questions but when it comes to Africa, the way in which it is taking up, even in critical um, scholarship, sometimes it's either superficial or does not really take into consideration the entirety of the history um, and the, the, the complexity of the systems of knowledge and power that we are dealing with. I, I mean, what you've said kind of points me towards a, a, a consideration which is that the academy is not kind to African philosophers. Yes. Right. So that, um, you know, even if Madimbi has been picked up and has been central to, as you were saying, post-development, decolonial, uh, feminist epistemology, um, those people who then read those works don't really think that they should track that genealogy, yeah. you know, back to even if he's not the source, a source, yeah. uh, African philosophy. And and I wonder how you think that that issue, well, firstly, am I, do, you, do you think there's something in that? And secondly, if there is, um, how do you think we and I are um, uh, suffer from that? Okay. Um, and, and thank you for asking this question because this is my frustration, actually. When I was doing my, and I, I'll just give you a brief background. When I was doing my, my um, um, PhD dissertation, um, there was a debate that had taken place in the Department of Political Science at York University. And mind you, York University is supposed to be the most radical space um, in, in Canadian academy. You have the Marxists, the post-structure, everybody is there. But when I was, so we were having this debate in relation to a second year philosophy course, I'm sorry, political theory course. Should, should the second year at York be required to take a, a political theory mandatory course? And if yes, then how do you name it? Because they were like um, um, political, I think ancient and medieval political thought or something. But they were, what they were reading was from Plato or Socrates sometimes, and you end with Marx. Sometimes, depending on the person who was teaching, you could extend it to Foucault and Derrida. And so, and we were like, well, no. One, a political theory course is mandatory. But if you want to name it political theory without including Fanon and all of these guys, then name it Western political theory. And in that case, it, it should not be mandatory. And then it led to this serious debate and somebody was like, well, we should not read Fanon and all of these guys because their condition of possibility, it's actually the Western philosophers. 
And this led to like this serious debate. And this was the period that I had just gone to Sierra Leone and came back um, doing the field work for my, and I was like, okay, now I am going to write my dissertation. How do I write it in a way that demonstrates that what these guys are saying is actually BS? This took me to Valentin Mudimbi. But when I was writing, I was actually having a fight with my committee. Because for them, Mudimbi is not a theorist that I, could, that I should center. I should center um, Foucault, for instance. And so somewhere in my dissertation, I actually had to write that I only come to Foucault through Mudimbi. Because if you were to take like the order of things, for instance, if it was not as Eurocentric as it is, Mudimbi basically takes the order of things and rewrites it. And basically what he's saying is, if Foucault had taken the colonial question seriously, the order of things would have been the invention of Africa. You see the point? I'm not saying, but that's, the, that's how it could have been. Um, what I mean is that the book, The Invention of Africa, and the way in which it centers the colonial question and the difficulty of transforming that, that's how, you, and, and Spivak has this fantastic critique of Foucault in, in Candice Subaltern's paper, where it's like the colonial question is completely evacuated and all of this, right? And so, so this is the issue. Um, I think Africa is normally seen as very specific. It's like the things, and actually maybe makes this point, Africa is normally seen as having things that are of lesser value. And if you ask me not to be very simplistic, but I think part of it is really the ideological system of colonial devaluation. And, and, and I think that's what Mudimbe calls the colonial library. You don't come to Africa innocently. There is an archive, centuries, um, that already tells you, that prefigures what is it, how you encounter Africa. So that even when people take from African, I mean, um, and this is not only with Mudimbi. Samir Amin, for instance, is not taken seriously by Western Marxists. The only person that I've engaged with him was probably David Harvey. Um, and if you take Wallenstein and you take um, uh, um, Arigi, they didn't just go to Africa. World systems emerged from Africa, not just because they were there, but it was the conversations that they were having with people that allowed them. If you take, um, what's his name? Fabian. Fabian basically says, time and the order will not have been possible if he had not been in Africa. And it's not because he was just observing. It was also the conversation that he was having with Ousu, with Mudimbe, with all of these guys that allowed him to be able to formulate. That's why in the, um, in the preface, he actually said, I hope that they will be able to recognize the conversations that we've had in this book, right? Uh, so I think there is this devaluation of Africa. And the thing that IR loses is that you cannot pluralize the sources of IR and you cannot decolonize IR. You cannot be critical within IR if you do not take into consideration the possibility of actually pluralizing the sources of IR. And Africa, like we have demonstrated in the book that we just edited, is not just backwater. I mean, there is the centrality of blackness, there is the centrality of Africa within these processes that led to the, 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 the production of the international, the production of global systems, 
And if you do not take Africa seriously, then there is no way. Again, I'm not trying to be um, this back to Africa appropriation. No, but if you do not take Africa seriously, then how um, uh, and pluralistic are really your disciplines? So people are saying, people will say, oh, let's decolonize IR. But if you are going to study Africa, for instance, and you are taking what Keanu and others are saying, when in actual fact, the debate about decolonizing knowledge took place first in Africa. Again, I'm not talking about sequence here. No, at university, but, East Africa. Thank you. Uganda, Tanzania, right? Kenya. And yeah. now everybody is like, oh, decolonial, decolonial. But the conversation in Africa, we had this conversation in the 60s and 70s. In fact, the invention of Africa is precisely a response to that because Mudimbe is saying, I am going to look at the way in which we have tried to Africanize knowledge and the way in which the debates that have risen recently about the form and context of Africanizing knowledge, which is basically decolonial. And right. And yet, you you finish your piece by i wouldn't say you want to go beyond Medimbe, mm -hmm. but you're you're not satisfied resting with Medimbe. um as as Medimbe looked at those 1960s debates how are you looking at Medimbe? um i i think he once told me that no one transcends the condition of their possibility and I think Mudimbi, um, somebody, I think Frato referred to Mudimbi as a French philosopher, and rightly so. He could be a French philosopher because if you look at the sources, but also even his own biography, although he can't be only the French philosopher. And in this final book, he actually did say, my past is Greek, my past is African, my present is African, but not only African. And right, and basically what he's saying is that there are just multiple sources that exist and, and that leaves traces. And sometimes we focus only on defining ourselves in very particular way by temporalizing ourselves and saying this is what happened and this, right? So giving his own background and the things that made him possible, it will be different. He tried his entire life to extricate himself from the Catholic upbringing, and he failed. It's, it's, it's impossible, right, to, to do that. He failed in, in, in that one regard. He, he tried to do that. At some point, he was almost excommunicated from the church, and at other points, on his 60th birthday, the Pope John Paul sent him a plaque. His admonition is that we take what is useful. And I think there are so many things that are useful in Mudimbe. Bearing in mind also that the things that we take as African or European may not necessarily be um, in their primordial understanding, right? And, and there is no essential quality to them to say this is African, but we are able to, to actually figure the multiple influences that goes into producing certain ideas. And I think that's what Mudimbi was gesturing to us. So when he says reprimand, that's precisely, let's try to reappropriate, not out of this, um, not out of a desire for purity, but one which allows us to be able to wage strategic battles 
in, in, in different. But I think there is, I ended the piece by saying that there is an aporia in Mudimbi. He's trying to go beyond something, but by the end of the day, we end up with the colonial library. And so then the issue is, how do you transcend the library? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe the issue is not to transcend the library. Maybe the issue is to appropriate the library and take what is it that is useful from it and discard um, um, what is not, right? The only problem that I have, for instance, with the current decolonial is that, um, sorry, the current decolonial tone and this so-called stress on decolonizing knowledge is that we are now in a place where decoloniality is becoming like a, a, a handle for, how do you say, superficial additive um, and multiculturalism, right? Like, and, and I think that is, is also a problem so that the major questions about translation, about um, um, the contaminated essences, about all of this is being pushed to the side and everybody is just saying, oh, decolonial, decolonial. But what does decoloniality mean um, if there is already an archive that exists that already tells you exactly? So how do you engage with that? Maybe, like I said, it's not to transcend it, but to actually engage with it and take what is it we accept. Yes, it is contaminated. So what? And then we, we move from there. Zuba, thanks so much for talking to us. It's, oh, thanks, it was man. Fascinating. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> <laughs>